Welcome to season two of My Ministry Breakthrough, brought to you by Oxano. I'm your host, Brian Rose. This podcast is all about church leaders telling unfiltered stories of impact in the local church. We're here to celebrate and share those life-changing moments when the fog of ministry chaos clears and breakthrough clarity happens. When I think of the church in 2030, I think of what we've been working toward the last five years with Unique. So what, what do I mean by that? I think, I think the church in America, North America by and large, has lost its value proposition to the believer. And what I mean by that is the functional mission of the church in North America is going to all the world and make worship attenders, baptizing them in the name of small groups and teaching them to volunteer a few hours a month. And we've so reduced what I think the local church can and should be and how we're calling people into the life of following Jesus, into a life of robust discipleship and disciple making that um, that we, we we, we need to recover a sense of training. We need to recover a sense of how do we deliver real value to individuals' lives. And so in some ways, I would say, I would, or to take unique out of it for a minute, I would say part of what we need to do is move from becoming teaching centers to becoming training centers. Many churches across North America and every faith tribe are experiencing or will soon experience a season of plateau and decline. What worked to reach, teach, and grow unchurched people in the first two decades of this century grows more irrelevant with every passing year, even to the most churched of people as they show up less and less each week. Many thought leaders believe that more of the same program-driven church ministry will only result in greater church irrelevance as each year of these 2020s pass by. Some even believe that the most effective churches of 2030 will not be led by pastor personality or popular programming, but by people deployed into their everyday lives with a deep, personalized understanding of God's disciple-making call. My guest in this episode is Will Mancini, the founder of Oxano, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every local church know and live its God-ordained vision. If you're listening in real time, Will's latest book, Unique, released just this week. Unique is the book behind the only gospel-centered life planning process that is designed for and through the local church. Unique is more than a book. It is a proven toolbox that equips every believer to live every day with great commission clarity. In this special episode of My Ministry Breakthrough, Will Mancini joins me to talk about his hopes for breakthrough in the personal calling of every believer. So imagine with me for a moment a church, your church, in which more people than not gather each weekend, not for more teaching, but for training to live their work weeks with unmatched clarity. Imagine an army of believers built up and deployed from your church every day to live with personal purpose, redemptive passion, and evangelistic fervor. Lean in and listen up to My Ministry Breakthrough with church strategist, thought leader, and author of the new book, Unique, Designing the Life That God Dreamed for You, Will Mancini. All right, Will Mancini back on the My Ministry Breakthrough podcast, third time guest. Um, you know, this is this is the record setter right here. 
You are. Uh, we'll, get it, we'll get it right this time. Yeah, yeah. No, listen. Always, always uh, bringing great content and helpful. I hear sometimes I hear the most about these episodes. The last one we talked about uh, the church and the future of the church a little bit, and so this one we're talking about the new book, the new book that's out right now. Unique. Tell me about Unique, the book. Was how's yeah, it feel right. to have another book in print? This is the third third major kind of trade publication. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, actually, this is the fourth one, I guess. Cause uh, you know, we, we, uh, at Oxana, we kind of forget about building leaders, which is oh, like, right. you, you know, yeah. kind of a little bit outside of the core content space that we work with. But I did that. Uh, remember Aubrey Malfers invited me into that, um, that book. Yeah. It was 2003 that came out in 2004. But so this is technically fourth one, but it just feels what's fun about this one, Brian, it's, I was, I was actually talking to Romy last night on the couch and you know, she's, she's watched me give books to family as, as my kind of initial author copies came in and I haven't written and, and, and done my, you're one of a kind, honey, love you. I haven't kind of given her, her, her copy yet. So we were talking about, she doesn't have her personal will man see the autograph copy she's, yet. She's getting a little jealous because I've given them to the kids and my mom and dad. And she's like, you know, kind of looking at me like, where's, where's mine with those little puppy dog eyes. And I said, uh, I said, honey, I said, I said, I've got, I've got yours for you. I said this, uh, you know, every other book I've written, I've written wrote to church leaders. I said, uh, yeah, this one, this one I've written for you. And she kind of, her eyes get really big. I said, you know, and what I actually, what I actually thought as I was writing the book is like this, this book's for my mother, my daughter, my sister, my wife. I mean, this is, I'm writing this to all brothers and sisters in Christ, not just church leaders. So there is, it does have a, a kind of a fun, it is like writing a first book for me, Brian, in that sense that um, it, it's, it's not just a, a, a really tight niche book. It's, it's a book for any believer. So unpack that, that a little bit. Yeah, unpack that a little bit. I mean, you say you write it for her, you write it for your mom, your daughter, your wife. What does that mean? I mean, help, help us understand that. Yeah, and it, it's, 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 just, it's the distinction between really every other book was written for just a very specific set of pastors. Which is, you know, when you add up the number of, you know, what is there, 350,000 churches? And so maybe there's, you know, I don't know the technical number, but maybe there's half a million, you know, paid staff, vocational staff or something, you know, out there. Yeah. And so that's actually a pretty limited number of people in general for, for book writing. So, yeah, this, this was, um, you know, some of the, like, like almost every tool in the, in the Life Unique toolbox that was something I created because uh, it's a it's a it's a curation of some things from co-founder Dave Rhodes. It's a curation of some other great thought leadership stuff, um, and then there, there's many tools that are things that I I designed. And and so I like I remember there's a tool called role mapping, and I remember the first time uh, doing role mapping. Literally, my mother-in-law was visiting, Romy was there, my daughter Abby was probably 10 years old, and I said, okay. And we are sitting around a coffee table in the living room and family room. And I was just, I was like, Hey guys, just do this. And I was practicing with the tool and it was really fun. So, so I literally practiced with my, my daughter and, and my wife on, on a lot of these tools first round, just to watch them, see how they would interact with it. Like I remember, so the role mapping, I, you know, it's like where you put a little circle in the center of the page and then you do a little mind map yeah, and you mind map your roles. And so I was like, Abby, okay, just, you know, put Abby Mancini in the middle of the page, and then I want you to draw three circles off from the center circle and just write down what are the three primary roles Abby Mancini plays in her life. You know, she's writing down friend and student and 
you know, and, and, and I said, okay, and you double click on that. Like, well, as a friend, what are the three primary roles you play? As a student, what are the three primary roles you play? You know, as a, as a, as a daughter, as a sister, what are the three primary roles? And so it was just fun to practice with that. So that's one part of it too, is literally, uh, they were the family with the guinea pig. Guinea what pig I'm hearing you family. say is, you know, in the past, uh, the work you've done and especially the writing you've done has been written to the church leader, but this feels like it's a book written to and for the church, you know, the individuals that make up this kingdom calling of the church and, and unique is this personal calling book. Unpack the, unpack the central theme of the book for us for a minute so that everybody yeah. kind of get, gets caught up. Yeah. The subtitle of the book is, um, uh, designing the life that God dreamed for you. Let's, let's pause there. Cause that feels a little bit like I, I could imagine some folks going designing the life. God, dream. wait a minute. Don't doesn't God do the design and we do the dreaming. Why do I get to design and God gets to dream? Yeah, that's fun. It's what's well, funny. And it, you could flip that around to, you know, dreaming up the life God designed. There's a little yeah. bit, it's a little, it's a provocative title. And I think, I think some believers actually can you know, struggle with this, yeah. some of these ideas. So where I, uh, the, where I anchor those ideas is really the Genesis one text and the kind of the, it's kind of the great commission before the great commission. Everyone has, you know, highlighted and burned out on, you know, Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Right. And so it's that idea that God created us. I, I, love, I love the idea that we're, we are co-creators with God. So that's really, I would anchor the subtitle in that idea. So the first command is, you know, multiply, fill the earth, um, have dominion, subdue it. And there's this really, cre- I, what I, I, I love the imaginative creativity of this idea that God creates this huge sandbox, this, you know, blue marble hanging in this massive universe called planet earth. And mankind is the, you know, the height of his create, you know, created order. And he, he wants, he wants someone in his image to rule and have dominion and, and create. And I would, I would say kind of co-create with him. So there's all kind all the creativity. You know, you look in Genesis, it was funny. You read Genesis in the first 30 chapters and you see, kind of an ecosystem of vocational calling. You know, the, the first family, someone's working with animals, someone's working with the ground. And as the, as, the, as the family tree multiplies before long, you know, you have tool makers, mm-hmm. you have managers and leaders, you have warriors. Uh, and and, and this, this, there's this vocational explosion, if you will, of creative productivity and management of the earth. And so, um, the idea that we can't, that the idea, so the, the idea that God had a dream for you, which again is a little, little provocative, and that's just us double-clicking on Ephesians 2.10. So I, right. say between Genesis 1 and Ephesians 2.10, I would get that subtitle. That, 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 and I think it's important to underscore you know, for the listeners, you know, um, after this amazing text on being saved you know, by grace through faith, um, and, it, and because we have been saved, you know, we have, we're not just freed from sin, we're freed for living a life of good work. So, you know, we are God's poema, his workmanship, his masterpiece, his creative handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. So that's where I'd say God has a dream and he's prepared specific good works for each, each person listening. And, and the idea that that is not 
something we engage passively. And it, the text actually says that you should walk hmm. in, in, not that we will walk in. So it's your call uh, in two ways. It's your calling. It's a, you're designed by God, uh, literally. And it's your call. Will you engage that? Will you seize that, right? Will you walk that pathway and, 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 and grab every good work that God has cooked up in advance? So I love the idea that when you were born, God had a dream for your life. I also, I also like, Will, that, that it is not a passive action. I mean, like, like, I think there are a lot of believers, a lot of church leaders, a lot of pastors walking around kind of with this passive, like, well, you know, kind of God's got this thing anyway, so I might as well just kind of succumb to whatever the moment is and, and just kind of follow that. And, and what, what I feel and what I see in Unique, what I've read is that, yes, God has a plan, but part of that plan is you being actively involved in this design work and planning and being Unpack that a little bit for me, if you can. Yeah, I think that the, uh, and by the way, the design that we, we use, it's, it's, it's kind of fun to, we, we've talked about life planning for a long time. And in the last, say, five to 10 years, really, the design metaphor, I think, has become more in vogue in this. So I think of this as really a book on gospel-centered life design. I think it's a more playful way uh, to think about living an intentional life, designing versus planning. So anyway, so designing is that opportunity, and it, it's literally it's you could go to you know as you know I've got uh, my my fourth daughter is almost three so I've got three out of the house this little one so I can I'm back in the little coloring book days where you know kids are drawing with little you know little shapes and whether you think of a child playing in a coloring book or you think of a serious artist you know creating a beautiful landscape you know with 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 oil. Um, you know, that idea that we desire, you know, you were an architect, you know, prototyping, you know, a, a, a building. Um, it's it's uh, the life design idea is that you get to proactively think about who, who am I? Who did God make me be? Kind of interpreting your story, really understanding your passions, your strengths, and uh, your ideal context. You know, some of the stuff we talk about in the sweet spot. But then looking into the future and being able to kind of prototype. You know, we talk about the three-year prototype of your, of your future. What, what could God be up to and where is this going? So uh, I love that you can actually design your, your, your life. I, um, I was cleaning up over the holidays here and I had a white flip chart, Brian, from two years ago. And it was part of my annual retreat. And I, just, I was just making kind of a modified tool. Yeah. And it was, um, I had written down about eight options for big things I was going to pursue in the year. And I really, they're all good opportunities. And I just use the decision-making matrix that we teach people to use in, in Life Unique. And I created like six criteria. And I just literally doing a life plan renewal. And I, I just, and I'd had that, it was two years old. And I just had it and I had not thrown it away yet. And I just, I was time to throw it away. So I took one more picture, threw it away. But I looked at that chart and you know, like I started Denominee, you know, this last year and that was, that was on there. And that was the one that had the most green, green indicator lights. Right. You know, and, and I was just looking back and I was going, you know, it, it, it is truly amazing when people take a little time to reflect how much creativity, autonomy, and how much you are um, just, and again, it's, 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 it's not this God is my co-pilot thing. I mean, God's the pilot, God's the author of our story. 
but it's that idea that he does invite us at Genesis 1 into the opportunity to think, reflect, design, prioritize, orient, goal set. And that all that, I think, is in the, the boundary of, of a God-honoring uh, life and stewardship of our, of our one and only life. So I just thought, you know, this, this was really, I was able to see in just in a fresh way the generative opportunity of reflecting on how you want to spend your time in the future. And I just, just one of those moments where I was like, wow, I'm just so grateful that I get to uh, co-create with God in my own life. Yeah, I think, I think that is a big misconception about the word design. And you mentioned, you know, in my architecture background, you know, in, in architecture school, you know, my design degree, we learned that design really only exists within a set of constraints. And so you cannot design without understanding, you know, how God has, uh, you know, working, how he's worked in the past, how he's working in the present, and really acknowledging through his word and, and his work, you know, so that is, you know, that, that, that action of, of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life, God at work in you and through you is one of those design constraints. And so I, you know, I, I agree with you fully that. That, 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 you know, that God's, God's will and his work is probably the best constraint. And, 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 you know, you use the word constraint and people are like, oh, well, that's a bad thing. No, no, the best work comes from acknowledging, you know, this is where the sun comes up and this is where the wind blows and this is where the view is. And this is where, you know, you know the, the flow of, you know, when you think about it in a, in a building setting, and so, you know, constraints make beauty. And so uh, I, I love that. You, you talked about tools and, and I know you're a tool maker. I mean, it, at the heart, this is not a book of theory, uh, gospel-centered life design theory. Uh, this is gospel-centered life design tool and process. As a reader who's anticipating, like kind of really digging in, what, what, can, what can you give me as a listener, uh, as a leader, like, okay, what's in this book as far as tools and process that I can really kind of wrap my brain around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's an, I think it's important for, uh, you know, for folks to know this is, um, you know, there's, well, I, I can be a little more transparent just because, you know, of our background, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of folks who, you know, write books because they have a platform and they can just get another product or more ideas out there. And that's great. You know, for some reason, one of those constraints going back to that is part of my calling is it's, you know, I'm, I'm a process you know, designer toolmaker first. And so this book actually is the, it's kind of the last step in a developmental process where we've been R&Ding this over the last, you know, five, six years. The first group of people I took through the process was uh, started in 2014 and uh, about, about 15 uh, people, uh, about 10 pastors and five lay people from across the country. We went through a year long process together and that was the kind of the debut and uh, as, I, as I shared with you earlier, you know, really in, in back my first facilitation gig in 2001, um, we can go back and talk more about that. I mean, I was first ever was like sh- Will Mancini out there serving the church, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't being paid, just, you know, having a seminary buddy, you know, buy a plane ticket and helping him work with his church team that, you know, on one, one Thursday afternoon. And at the end we had dinner and we started, he asked the question, how would what we talked about today apply to you know, my life individually. And so I've never stopped thinking about, you know, what are the tools supposed to look like for the individual? And, you know, how does that, how does that play out? So, um, so we've taken about 3000 people through the process through, you know, 
uh, which is important for us to do that through the church. So we're kind of doing that through maybe our first 100, 150 churches. And this is the life unique process, just to be clear. This is the life unique process. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So for individuals. Yep. Uh, and, and so it's a, it's a, the key is that it is a proven process for individual personal calling and life vision, life design for any believer from, I mean, from, from 16 to, to 86. It's, you know, a lot of people wonder, you know, what life stage is this designed for? It's like all of them. It's very important. Uh, it's another design constraint. Like that's actually the most important design constraint for me. It was like, this has to be universal. This has to be the irreducible minimum for, for human beings. Like I don't want to, a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of the tools out there reflect the particular design of the tool creator. But so like the age, at, the age they're in, like you can almost kind of timestamp, you wrote this book when you were in your 40s and all those circles are coming together. You wrote this book when you well, were in your 20s. And well, and I, it, yes, but I think of it more of, of even uh, almost like Enneagram type or, you know, kind of personality. So I look, so, you know, for example, there's one popular life plan, you know, individual who, who, who did some teaching on their ideal week. And I looked at their tools for their ideal week. And I'm like, I, that is an, that's an ideal week for, you know, a three on the Enneagram for, you know, a, you know, a super high achiever, probably red, blue on, on the, or, you know, D, DC on the disc, red, blue yeah. on our insight school. And I'm like, you know, that's like, I, you know, I know eight out of 10 people who will never, that will never be their ideal week. I mean, that's just, and so I, you know, I'm like that, that individual is creating a tool that reflects their life. that doesn't reflect that per individual is trafficking and life planning creation, but has not actually taking hundreds of people through a life planning journey to see the variety of people out there. So, um, so anyway, that, that's a little bit of it. So the toolbox takes you through five master tools and um, it goes from, you know, what are the essentials for the journey of intentional living that are universal to every human being uh, through how do you know what only you can do to how do you declare who you are today? And so those are, yeah, knowing what only you can do is what we call the sweet spot tool. Declaring who you are today is, you, is you know, the personal vision frame. So just that's your identity. And then putting a simple plan together for tomorrow, you know, what's that, what's your, what's your next step uh, to, you know, what are the, what are the rhythms of review that, that uh, you know, that ongoing kind of review of your life, uh, you know, just, we just kind of walk through those big chunks of, inten- you know, the intentional life genre and just really want to help people answer questions, give them the, the tools that they can go to time and time again. I use the metaphor of like, it's, it's kind of like the garage for your life. You know, when you want to work on your life a little bit and, 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 and that the garage workshop and the best, you know, kind of get to do this, it's not like you're going in and fixing on fixing breakdowns. So you're going in and doing the tune up, you know, you're doing, you know, getting ready for that next big trip, getting ready for that next big dream, getting ready for that next, you know, 90 day goal, whatever, whatever it is that you have to be working on. Well, we're having this conversation at the turn of the year. And that seems like the most natural time when people go down to the, the metaphorical garage to kind of, you know, tinker around uh, with their life, making resolutions kind of, you know, in some ways I was at a coffee shop yesterday and saw, ran into a pastor and his wife that had, they had their calendar, they had their budget, they had some things in front of them and they were spending the morning kind of dreaming about kind of what that this next year had. Sounds like this is a, this is a toolbox just especially for that. Um, is there one piece of it that an experience, you know, you've seen these kind of few thousand people 
Is there one experience of either kind of that, that understanding the, the creation, the sweet spot, or, you know, kind of naming the calling or even, or even kind of the ongoing, you know, review and, 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 you know, re-engaging the tools to do the planning piece of it. Is there anything where you've just kind of like got a story that's jumping out at you right now? Like, man, there was someone right here in this moment and it's just kind of top of mind. Give us, give us kind of a, uh, uh, an experience you've seen or, or, or that stands out for you that is meaningful for you as the author designer of the toolbox here? Yeah, I think what's fresh on my mind is just a long conversation I had with Romy last night. And, and one of, well, it's, just, it's just an example of the power of a, of, of, a, of a tool and the power of a reflective moment. Uh, early, early on in the, in the toolbox creation, I was on a flight with my wife and there's one tool that, we, uh, that I curate from Donald Miller. It's a lifeline tool. And Donald Miller, there's a lot of, as you know, Brian, a lot of life mapping tools. And yeah, yeah. the primary one we use is called the Life Discovery Grid that was uh, developed with a team of students at Dallas Seminary in the mid-90s. And so that's our go-to tool. But one process step we use is a little lifeline tool that Donald Miller makes. Well, you just you do a little line and you 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 score like your top you know 10 high points and hard times in your life on a little yeah. line. Uh, and as you know, you can score them kind of like on a one to ten scale. Like you know, yeah. Yeah. 10 is a super great high plus plus 10 is a huge high point. Plus five is a medium, and you know, minus five is a medium low point. Minus ten is a big, big valley in your life. And so, I was on a, I was on a plane, and I, I showed this tool to Romy, and so I, um, I gave it to her, and I, I remember looking at my watch. It was about twenty minutes later. I look over, and she's got this tear coming down her cheek, and, and I said, "Honey, what you know, what, what." I didn't know it was a tear of joy. I didn't know it was, I didn't know. I was like, honey, what, you know, what's God showing you on this, on this lifeline? She looks up at me and she just said, I cannot believe how the Lord has preserved my life. And just that, just a moment, like for a human being to take 20 minutes. And in that moment, she saw the hand of God in her life in a way that is so powerful. That moment alone can actually impact the trajectory of your life too. And she had had several moments where she could have lost her life and she was blown away at God's kind of just almost miraculous intervention at, a, at consistently, you know, through her life after four decades. And, um, this is beautiful. It, it, so the, the, the key there is if 20 minutes can bring a beautiful insight in this case, she's looking backwards. And, you know, as you know, the key to looking forward is being able to look backwards. Well, it's like a golf swing, right? Your follow through is defined by your backswing. And so in that, it, it's such a small moment in the process and just one of many tools. But if you stack up, you know, 10, 20 moments of deep reflection and 10, 20 moments of looking ahead, you know, through a really powerful life design process, it just has a huge impact. So that's not a great example because it's not getting a deliverable on the front side of life planning, but it's a great example of doing that interpretive work of uh, really um, asking the question, what has God been up to in my life? Who am I? What, um, what's your, what's your, what's your hope with this is the book is coming out. I mean, it's, it's released this week as this podcast drops. I think the book will have been out two days. 
Um, you've yeah. invested a significant amount of emotional effort, physical effort. I, I know familial effort. I mean, just everything you are is going into this. What's your, what's your greatest hope for this, uh, for this book? Yeah. There's a really a two, there's a, there's a two stage response to that I can't approach answering that without having a two parts. And the first part, I'll just share the, the problem statement in the book. So for me, it's important to really define the problem well. So, and I think every good book should have a really focused sense of what is the one problem this book's trying to solve. So the one problem I want to solve for people who are listening today is it it sounds something like this, like God has given you a special assignment. He's created you for a lifelong special assignment. And we've, we've got to believe that, right? I mean, we've got to believe how, how sad is it that most of us don't really think about that? we're, I mean, functionally in that level, most believers are, are atheists or agnostic at that. Like we don't, it's not that we, it's not, you know, we have a vague sense of that. So, yeah. so, so the problem is you have a special assignment from God, but most believers have never, have never understood it. They've never named it. Hmm. And therefore they leave a, a, a ton of progress, a ton of opportunity on the table for making their, uh, for making a contribution with their one and only life to the kingdom. And, and so that, that is like, it's that, it's that missed opportunity. You know how we talk about it at Oxana, it's the same with individuals. It's a, you, can't, you can't maximize your life with a general sense of where you're going. And that's what we rely on. It's not that we don't have visions or not plan. You know, most human beings are forward looking. It's just, it's not that we don't, it's not that we're not forward looking. It's that we do it with a general sense. And there's just so much relieving on the table, so much, uh, you know, it, you know how I feel about that. So I just what? want to activate that sense that you can know this and name this. I, w- I want to get, why, why is it that we settle for the general sense, do you think, Will? What, what is it do you think that forces or, or finds people just, I don't know, just you know, kind of cruising with this general sense of calling, general sense of purpose, general sense of I'm a believer, therefore, but not really living with that deeply held. Passion. Yeah, I th- I, well, I think you know, I think practically it comes down to business. We're just so preoccupied with life, and it's it's the irony, you know, that um, you, you you your progress is the best when you pause and you have these moments to reflect. And just most, I feel, I mean, I, as someone who loves this stuff, it's still the greatest barrier in my own life. I mean, you know, even after writing the book, I'm still liable to just going so fast and not slowing down enough to think through and reflect on what God is doing and how I can best steward the next season of my life. So um, I just think it's a, it's a, it's a very common process. You know, there, without margin, there is no imagination. You know, if you don't slow down, uh, to, uh, you won't, you won't have these, these breakthroughs and this opportunity. I mean, that little story with Roman, most people don't take the time to yeah. chart out their life. We just, it, it's funny um, how that, how that backfires and works against us. Even if you're not the best at it, even if you, you know, but you're, you still have a perspective on it. How would one, if I'm listening to this and I'm like, yeah, man, I'm feeling you will. I'm running so fast. I'm not slowing down. I need to pause to plan. You know, I need the margin that, that brings that. If, how would you encourage a leader listening right now to do that? What would be one or two things they should do or could do to bring some of that, some of that peace and pause back in? Yeah, I think, well, it's, it's, 
at the end of the day, it's the practical step of calendar blocking. So, you know, the key is just, you know, take the time to every single person listening can get in there and here's, it can, it can do it five minutes. It's totally free. It's your choice. You can open up your, whatever system you use to calendar things. Um, you know, I still use iCal on my computers. You know, you can open it up, whatever. Romy has a little whiteboard calendar in her kitchen and she does a month at a time, whatever thing you use. Just My wife Kelly it. has a paper calendar. She there still prints out, you know, the week to week paper calendar. And when we have moments, you know, you, you know, have to, you have something, you know, it's yeah. a Moleskin journal. You have something. Yeah. yeah. So just counter block. And you know, it's, it's all about if you counter block and have the right questions and take a time. Yeah. That's the recipe for the win. Um, most, you know, most of the time. So, and obviously, and I will say, I will say this, what I, what I love about the unique book is I, I did not, I, in the book, Brian, I didn't want, I didn't want like this cheap, cheap win, I'll call it where it's like, here's a few questions at the end of every chapter and just have a thought or scribble a note and it's done. So I actually don't have questions at the end of chapters. What we did is actually created an on-ramp to the full process. And so we have a starter kit. If, you, if you're in the book, you'll see the link to a starter kit, which is really a full video course where the first big tool in the life discovery grid, we just give to, to, to readers and, and you can start really walking the journey. So you got, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's some online courses on there and you know, links to other things that, that, you know, to the degree that people want to go through the whole journey. So I just want people to access the journey, not do, you know, a lightweight, you know, kind of version. It, it, it's possible to think you've gone through this process when you're really not taking the time to reflect on, on stuff. Um, as you know, now, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump back because there's a yeah, two, yeah, two part, part dream, yeah, two part, yeah, dream. Two part first, dream. Yeah. First, yeah. first part is you have like, um, everybody has a special assignment from God or a special calling. I use special assignment as that just metaphor. It's not your job. It's not like, okay, I'm a banker. I'm a plumber. It's this trajectory of your life that you can name special assignment from God. And so everyone would name as the first thing. The second part of the dream though, is that not that people would get that through reading a book or have that breakthrough through coming to our life unique organization, but that people would discover that in their local church community and that local churches themselves would become kind of special calling you know, find and release factories. You know, it's like, so the, the idea for me is, you know, and you know, we've, we spent our lives together doing organizational clarity in the church and we see churches at their best and their worst at the disciple making mission that Jesus, you know, started uh, two, 2000 years ago. And so I, this is, it comes from a deep conviction that this is one of the big ideas and toolboxes that, that churches need to add great value to their people's lives and that the mission of Jesus is at stake, that special calling can be uh, a, a, a energy release at a new level of, of, of for, for individuals in the church and that the church ought to be the hero in their lives to give them great value and help release them in this journey. So I, 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 I would say, Brian, you know, our, dream, our dream is that, you know, within a few years, this would be ubiquitous in local churches and that there'd be trainers, whether they're full-time staff or they're lay people, and that every church offers gospel-centered life design, you know, unique life planning um, to their everyday member and attender. So that, that's a little long-winded response to kind of the big dream. Every individual knows their special calling, and that's happening through, a, you know, local community of believers and, and 
you know, across the country. Yeah, I can, I can imagine, you know, Unique sitting alongside, you know, Financial Peace, Celebrate Recovery, you know, some of these other, you know, really kind of big pillars of, hey, this is, this is for the individual, but yet it's the vehicle of it is the local church. Because, you know, I, the, the image in my head right now, Will, is, is like uh, an army of soldiers who are trained to use their weapons and they have their, their skills, but there's not an overarching organization. They're just uh, individuals. And, you know, U.S. Army had that slogan for, for a long time, an army of one. But, but that's the, 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 the funny thing about that was the, the very definition of the word army means that there is, there is a, a multitude of people. And so I can imagine that as, as local churches have, are made up of individuals that are so deeply connected to their life calling, that are passionate about accomplishing the gospel through their individual lives, the synergy of being, in, I, I want to be in that church. I want to be a part of a church. That's, that's a bunch of people who are trained and skilled uh, to just attack in the, the way God has called them to be attacking, but they're doing it together. They're doing it um, with a greater sense of direction. There's, there's real power in that. Man, that is such a great metaphor, Brian. It really is. The, the idea that you could be a lone ranger out there and have your clear calling, but not have a, a band of brothers and sisters to, you know, uh, uh, do that together with. And it, it, it just, it actually does remind me of, I, I've had these experiences where I'll meet someone who's gone through the process, you know, in California, they meet someone who's gone through the process in South Carolina and, and the community that they can have because they've had that shared experience is richer, faster than almost any other, you know, community, uh, not just because they share the common calling of, you know, salvation through Christ, but they have this lexicon and this, you know, ability to talk about, hey, you know, what do you value? Hey, what's your, what are your two words? Hey, what, you know, what is your three-year dream? What is, you know, what, what's something from your, from your bucket list? And, and it's just the ability to talk about that stuff is so rich and meaningful for people. So um, I can imagine groups of believers over time really, you know, high-fiving and celebrating very quickly as they get to know each other because they can get up to speed on each other's lives really in a special way. It also occurs to me that, that financial peace, solar recovery are great, but if you know your unique calling alongside being debt-free, alongside being free from your hurts, habits, and hangups, there's, you know, seems like unique is kind of foundational to, yeah, what is debt freedom without personal calling them, right? What is, it is so, (laughs) what is freedom from addiction without knowing what you're free for? Yeah. What goods, what goods money in the bank if you don't know what your calling is? I mean, it's literally, it is that, you know, I mean, I'd like to struggle with that change there. Yeah. Give me, give me that, give me that struggle. I struggle with it a little bit, but yeah. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Yeah. It's funny too. And I'll, I'll contrast it with this and uh, you know, I mean, Dave Ramsey, you know, he's, he's built an amazing organization. I know he's, he's helped a lot of people. If, if, if for, for pastors who are listening, if you have someone who gets financial breakthrough by going through Financial Peace University, uh, guess who the hero is if you run that program in your church? Well, Dave Ramsey's the hero because right. all the capital stays with him. He's the expert. His face so is on the box. Is, it, yeah, 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 yeah. And, it, it, and I know it's, he's been very successful uh, with that. And, it, but the, Unique is different because we've actually limited the, we don't actually want that. We actually, we want the church to be the hero in the sense 
that the training experience, that the value, that the relationships, the coaching comes from people inside the church. And so the church is the, is the delivery of the value. The church is the one. And just imagine people who have such a deep sense of gratitude for how their church community blesses them, helps them with vocational discipleship, understanding their nine to five. And, you know, it's, as you know, Brian, churches are great at recruiting people to turn the widgets and move the dials and levers that need to keep the organization going. And so we can, uh, you know, we're guilty. I'm guilty as a pastor of burning people out, you know, on that volunteer treadmill. And I just don't, I never want to do that again without first helping them clarify their personal calling. We say you aim at, you know, volunteerism, you're guaranteed to burn people out. If you aim at special calling, you'll never, you'll never have a want for volunteers because it'll it'll just be coming from a deeper energy release of why God put them on earth. Not, not the, uh, you know, cajoling and recruiting from, from stage, you know, shaming. uh, We need you. The shame that, yeah, the, the, the skillfully crafted shaming, you know, recruiting that we can do in ministry. Right. Yeah. Why, why, why do you want the church to be the hero? Uh, It seems like it'd have been easier to get the book out there, to get the process in people's hands. If you just did some videos and, and kind of made it all about, you know, Will Mancini's unique versus, you know, being embedded in the church. Why, why is that? Why'd you make that decision? Cause it was not, it was not a decision to, to make money or to, or to have ease of use. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's not definitely not an ease of use. We could have put the whole thing online and, you know, one and done. And the, um, you know, that, that just comes back to my special calling, Brian, really. And that's the, uh, for me, my, you know, my, my two words, as you know, is applying essence. And my life call statement is uh, making a life of meaningful progress more accessible. I think of that as more accessible to every believer, uh, more accessible to church leaders. And he, I, I think it's, for me, it's about the idea of meaningful progress, and it's about the essence of what the church is supposed to be. So, I, you know, and I'm reflecting, I can't, I'm being distracted by something I, I just wrote this last week. And I, as 2020 clicked on Life's Odometer, I just, you know, I spent 20 years doing this clarity stuff. And I just, I was actually sitting down thinking, what are the really the top life lessons and how would I articulate them differently than I've articulated them before? And I wrote down 15 things. And one thing I wrote down is, um, that most success is not guided by clarity. And I was just kind of staring at that statement. And I realized that we celebrate, we celebrate success all the time. That is legitimate success. And I'll put that success in quotes. It's things that, whether it's the church or the world or, you know, every day, Hey, this, this guy won a Grammy, boom, that's success. Uh, this guy, you know, got a raise, boom, that's success. And all the ways we can define success. And I think at the end of the day, most success is not really divided by clarity. It's defined by some you know, expectation or picture that's out there that we borrow or co-op. And um, so, yeah, it would be easy to um, create success through an online platform. It would be easy to write a book and only have a book that doesn't really create the breakthrough by itself. But we created the breakthrough process. Like for me, that's the meaningful progress. So I guess I would say this way. If I I'd rather have a thousand people, you know, the rest of my life, there's only a thousand people who really went through this process and got breakthrough. That'd be much more satisfying to me than having a hundred thousand people who bought a book and didn't get breakthrough. Like it's not about, you know, selling a product. It's about people having breakthrough. And ultimately the Lord has just been crystal clear in my own life design journey. He wants me to do all my tool making for the people of God. So this is not a book 
for a general audience. It's a book for people who love Jesus and who want to glorify God with their life. And so anyway, that's a, that's, that's a, um, those are my thoughts on just, you know, the church has got to be the hero because that's what God put me on earth to do, you know, um, uh, activate and, and serve the church. It would be um, a last question, Will, and it would be uh, malpractice for me to have you with now two decades of vision, clarity, forward thinking um, to not say and ask what, you know, what's, what's 2030 in the local church. Maybe this is a hope for you, or maybe this is just kind of, you know, what you sense 2030, the local church, what do you see? What do we need to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think futurists, futurists, I I would not call myself a futurist, but professional futurists are pattern um, seers and then they extrapolate. So uh, we were reading a book called Megatrends, you know, a couple decades ago. And it was the first book on, you know, futuring that I read. And, and one of the things that, you know, futurist does is looks at, looks at kind of the, the keyword count in newspapers. And what you see is you see the development, you know, you know, so if you look at, you know, the word artificial intelligence, for example, in, in media and in blogs and newspapers, whatever, you're going to see an increase in word count over the last five years. And so what happens is you extrapolate on that. And, and the reason I share that story is I do think that part of my wiring and, and gifting is through just going in and out of the church. You've, you've been, you've been doing this for, you know, a decade yourself you know, for, the, for two decades of going in and out of churches every day, you just cannot help but see and capture patterns, see and capture trends. And one of, one of the, and again, this is going to sound crazy because it could sound like I'm selling a book, but I'm not selling a book. I would say the unique process for me came out of, I think, the most important trend or the most important thing. So when I think of the church in 2030, I think of what we've been working toward the last five years with unique. So what what do I mean by that? I think, I think the church in America, North America, by and large has lost its value proposition to the believer. And what I mean by that is the functional mission of the church in North America is going to all the world and make worship attenders, baptizing them in the name of small groups and teaching them to volunteer a few hours a month. And we've so reduced what I think the local church can and should be and how we're calling people into the life of following Jesus into a life of robust discipleship and disciple making that, um, that we, 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 we need to recover a sense of training. We need to recover a sense of how do we deliver real value to individuals lives. And so in some ways I would say I would, or to take unique out of it for a minute, I would say, part of what we need to do is move from becoming teaching centers to becoming training centers. And if you were to add a unique back into it, if I'm really going to seriously train somebody when new competencies and new ways of living, the easiest way I think to, to challenge somebody is on the beachhead of the unique idea. So it's like, Hey, God made you unique. God's given you a special assignment. Why spend another day, week, month, year of your life without knowing that and really understanding that. So I think it's the most powerful way to, you know, kind of get an energy release for the, for an individual, for the people of God. And so that, I, I think that's where I, 
Uh, a practical way to think about it, Brian, is so think of how much energy a local church puts into Sunday programming. So a pastor is spending you know eight to twenty hours developing a message. The church is you know a lot of organizational stuff to get done. We need to do that. That's an important pattern. The people of God meeting weekly to worship Jesus, and so but but the amount of energy we put toward that. Uh, I mean, some churches it's like ninety five percent, ninety eight percent of all of all their energy, and you know, getting good teaching by itself is almost a commodity. You know, if someone can get out of bed, you know, without even getting out of bed, right? 60 seconds, they can hear a hundred great communicators of the word of God. But what is that local community becoming? How are they dreaming? What are they accomplishing? How are they adding real training value? Those aren't commodity things that you can just get anywhere. Those are, and so that, that for un- unlocking the imagination of individuals, unlocking the imagination of the church together, dreaming, you know, kind of stuff we do at Oxano, visionary planning. Uh, are things that I think the church is going to have to be really know in, in 2030, where I think 20 years ago it didn't really have to know it. You yeah. could just you could do a good open the doors and have a great have a great uh, event. Yeah, and, and it seems like the church is going to be less. I hate to even use the word attractive, but I think I think the most impact the church is going to have, and you and I have had this discussion even on the podcast before, is through the the individual. Um, having great impact. It's, I think to say it another way to do program church, isn't going to work in 2030. Like program church is over. Like we, it's not truly over because there's a lot of, and, and that is doing programs that are not connected to disciple making. Yeah. So disciple making is not going to be optional. We're just, it's, it's not, you're not going to have, not going to be enough reasons to keep the door open. You're not going to have enough, you know, I've got to fund the, the, the yeah. staffing, pay the electric bill. Like we used yeah. to, you know, if, if you're just doing program church. Will Mancini, unique. This is a great moment, I think, uh, in the life of the church. I know this is a big moment for you as this book comes out and represents so much going on. Thanks for spending a little bit of time this morning unpacking uh, the book, unpacking the process and the impact on the local church. Appreciate it and look forward to seeing how God uses us in the next decade. Hey, man. Well, it's great, great to be on the podcast and appreciate you taking time to talk about the book. Thank you for listening to My Ministry Breakthrough from the Oxano Podcast Network. You can head over to MyMinistryBreakthrough.com to join the conversation and access our show notes, including the books or other resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoy hearing these stories of ministry breakthrough, we would be honored if you would subscribe, rate, and even leave a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Thanks again for listening.